1: And now, back to Lifeline. And we're back at the time, 6.08 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open if you want to call, Karen. That was a great, great question. Love those questions. They really help us think through the before and after effect of the Adam and Eve syndrome. Two lines open, one seven five three two nine. let us go to line number uh, three and talk with Shelton in Fremont. Shelton, are you there? Shelton are you there on line number three? Shelton going once Shelton going twice, three lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine you guys are welcome to call let's go to line one and talk with uh, Ch- uh let's see here Chris on line one Chris are you there
0: Yes, I am how are you doing
1: right, thank you for your patience what's your question comment observation sir
0: um I was just going to comment on your um the question about the the problems with PG&E and some of the things that are going on. Sure. Um I I work in the electrical in- industry and I think it's a combination of a lot of lot of different things that, you know, are all culminating at the, you know, not at the perfect time, but at the at the at the same time where you have, you know, old infrastructure. Yep. that's um not being maintained. Yep. Part of it is you know, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of the maintenance that's not being done has to do with greed, you know, where, you know, PG&E, they have to answer to, you know, to their board of directors and to their stockholders and, yep. you know, stockholders. So, you know, uh, they try to, try to uh, you know, create as much income for themselves as possible and not, you know, reinvesting it back into the system. Some of it has to do with, You know, these systems were built in, you know, like in the 50s and 60s, and and we're still using them, and, you know, the environment has changed.
1: So would you say – So would you say in my conversation with Brandon that uh, at least pre-Brandon conversation, because Brandon was speaking in general terms on a larger theological level, what I shared with him was that on a more practical level, we are responsible as human beings to understand the prudence of uh, modifying and upgrading and becoming more efficient and certainly more safe, particularly with a power like electricity, that's everybody's obligation, yours, mine, and everybody's. And in in addition to that, as you were asserting, uh, uh, Chris, that when you think about the legacy of human beings, mankind, and we'll use uh, Brandon's terminology, the Babylonian system, greed, domination, uh, Uh, monopoly of power, uh, not enough accountability will lead to these kind of catastrophes because they will simply be functioning frequently out of the bottom line and not really thinking about not only efficiency, but safety. If we can go as long as we can with that raggedy telephone cord, we will. And if it means, you know, we can get five years out of it without anything, but maybe putting some, some, some duct tape on it, then we will. That's the nature of mankind. And that is an accountability issue. That's a moral and ethical issue. It's not just a general principle of the Babylonian system versus the Jerusalem system. So we need to have these conversations, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, part of it, too, is like from a consumer standpoint, you know, we have to understand that, you know, that there there's going to be times where, you know, everything isn't going to be perfect, where we're going to have to experience some outages in order for them to do maintenance. And a lot of times people don't want their power turned off. Agree. You know, if we have to, if we have to shed a load in order to, to do maintenance and people are complaining, you know, power was out for two hours. Okay. But maybe we're able to prevent a fire or something like that. Absolutely. But, you know, they, they don't want the power to be turned off. And if we can't turn it off, we can't maintain it. I agree. You know, and, You know, and part of, you know, along with that, I mean, you know, right now our economy, especially in the United States is great. Yeah. And not to say that God is, you know, creating catastrophes in order to bring people to him. But in in the Bible, he, he used catastrophes. He used, you know, foreign, you know, dictators, you know, as a weapon, you know, to bring people back to him.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, we, you know and i think that this is you know along the same lines that you know we aren't giving our lives to god we don't you know we aren't worshiping him we're worshiping money we're worshiping our houses we're worshiping our cars and yep, stuff yep. and you know and along with that he he you know allows these things to happen to show us that you know these things could go up in a in, in you know in a minute but life is precious and you know, the life he gave us, he gave us is precious and what are we using it for? It's not, you know, to, to get more stuff. It's to learn, to learn how, you know, whatever plan he has for us in life to, to be better and to learn how to, to serve him and also to understand how much he loves us. But, you know, and that you know, you know, it's sad to say that, you know, people lose their lives, but you know, sometimes, you know, I may even lose my life, but, Maybe by me losing my life, that might bring somebody else to you know to God as a believer. I think you know there are some sacrifices.
1: Hey, it's not even you know, a thought. It's not, e- it's not even thought, Chris. This is biblical theology. So you're conflating my principle with with uh, Brandon's, and that is this: since the fall. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin since the fall. That means we have to shed blood somewhere along the line to stop men from their mad dash to idolatry and self-absorption. There's no doubt about that. There is absolutely no doubt about that. The gospel is foolishness to men and women until they're uh, faced with mortal danger and their mortal danger is going to always be the fruit and outcome of their sinful greed. And so, yeah, um, like you said, in God's providence, he allows evil to come that without a doubt, I create the light. I create the darkness. I create good and I create evil. saith the Lord, I do all these things. Isaiah forty five seventeen. So we recognize that God is sovereign. Since Adam and Eve bust this thing wide open, we have to live with that fundamental condition in the human race. For me, it's the issue of, Not only do we recognize God's sovereignty, but we must also recognize our stewardship. I am still obligated to make sure my children live in the safest world possible. You are still obligated as well as I to um, love our neighbor as ourselves and to be ready to pull our ox out of the pit and to be ready to create power lines that have uh, the highest level of efficiency and safety as possible so that we don't contribute to our destruction by our greed and our avarice. And so the tension of being in a broken world Operating out of the highest nobility possible requires the grace of God. You are a child of grace. Uh, I am a child of grace. And as a child of grace, we have to operate in a way, Chris, that says, yeah, it's broken. But we want to do the best we can to make sure that we can live as prosperous and as honorable a life to God as possible. And when the calamity comes, we're ready now to throw ourselves in front of that calamity to stop it in order that men and women might come to know they really need God. And that's what you're doing when you're on the front line, doing what you do on that practical level for which we appreciate you guys without a doubt. And it doesn't matter about us whining and crying about us not having power uh, for two hours. That's absolutely absurd. This is, this, you're right. This is where we need to wake up to the reality. That's why I gave seven you know positive uh, things for us to consider with these blackouts, that it could be worse, that my lot is better than I deserve, that it won't last forever, that somehow there's a blessing in it, that somehow this is to shape me as a believer. God's ways are higher than our ways, and God's in control. And when a believer operates out of that set of principles, we just simply have to learn from these tragedies, get it right, and keep it moving.
0: Oh, I agree. I think, you know, the most important thing is that to realize and remember that No matter what we go through, God is going to provide for us. Amen. You know, it's kind of like we're talking about, you know, even with, you know, with the last subject, you were talking about, you know, Adam and Eve and, you know, what if it would have been perfect? Right. The fact is that we can't comprehend God. You know, we try to think of God
1: in the way we think. Yep.
0: Yeah. and, And God isn't human. Nope. God is all powerful. God can do anything he wants. And, you know, and if you recognize and and acknowledge that, then you don't need to question what if this or what if that. I'll find that out later. You know, God can explain that to me later. Right. He didn't explain it in the Bible because he didn't need to. Right. There were certain things that he wanted us to learn about repent, loving him, seeking him. And trusting him. You know, and not, yeah, trusting in him and not allowing Satan to to deceive us. Yep. You know, because Satan wants to deceive us and he wants to make us think that whatever we've done is... You know, it's so bad that it can never be forgiven. You know, and Agreed. I don't care if you commit murder. If whatever you do, you can be forgiven.
1: It's that, all manner all, all manner of sin shall be give, forgiven. The sons of men, except the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Right. That is a massive well of grace for all human beings. That's a massive yep. well of grace coming from the infinite God that he would tell us all manner of sin. All manner of sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, with the exception of blaspheming the one who's telling you how to get to the one who can get your sins forgiven. That, that to me, that's what like way more than gracious, you know. So our God is absolutely phenomenal. And thank you for your call, bro. I got to take a break. Um, let me see here. Ellen, uh, Eloise and Yvette. All three sisters with ease. <laughs> you guys hold on. I bet you I'll get a fourth one. Her name will be Eve. <laughs> Here in a minute on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back.
2: And now back to Lifeline.
1: And we are back the time 623 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open if you want to call in one one Three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Let's go to line two. Uh, Line three, rather. Eloise in Oakland. Eloise, are you there?
2: Hi, Pastor Jesse. This is Eloise.
1: Eloise. Okay. How are you, girl?
2: I am just fantastic. I I had two questions, and Uh I can take the answers offline. It doesn't matter. But the first one is serious, and the second one is just something I tell the children that I need to know should I stop telling them this. Sure. But um, my, my first question is... Are there any apostles today and if they are who made them apostles because I thought I read that that the apostles were chosen handpicked. and so can people be apostles today and if they are who's picking them is God still picking them
1: right well that becomes a problem um, because uh, the apostolic office which is a New Testament office not an Old Testament office which if people were to read their Bibles they would not find the term apostle in the Old Testament you know, Old Testament would have prophets, they would have priests, they would have kings, but they would not have apostles. Apostles are sent ones that are either sent, uh, Eloah's directly handpicked by Jesus, as were the 12 uh the I know, I read that. <laughs> that's that's one fact of the matter and the qualifications for their apostleship was established by the 11 in in acts chapter 1 and then affirmed by the apostle paul in second corinthians chapter 12 by what were called the signs of the apostles this is the first and primary category ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 and 12 underscore that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. So the apostles were gifts given to the church to establish the church in the gospel. And then we had prophets and teachers who are called pastors uh, who would be local resident uh, overseers. And then we had evangelists, which would be traveling ministers who would help edify the church. So the question is, do we operate out of a classical apostolic office today as we did in the first century? That would be impossible. It would be absolutely impossible because the foundation of the church is already established according to Ephesians two twenty. And the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone and and his apostles. So the foundation's already laid. We're building on the foundation of apostolic doctrine and the authority of Jesus Christ. So the new Testament is about Christ from Matthew to revelation in terms of his incarnation, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And his apostles are the sent ones who have gone out into the world with the authentic message of Jesus, which they passed on to other men and women, who would have been servants of God, but they would not have had the apostolic qualification of meeting Jesus both prior to his death and at his resurrection. The qualification of being an apostle of Jesus was to know him in his resurrection. They would have had to have seen him in his post-resurrection glory. We don't have that kind of qualified persons today so if a person comes along whether a man or a woman and says I'm an apostle they are an apostle of men not an apostle of God that being the case they do not carry <clears throat> the same authority as the apostles did neither do they carry uh, Eloise the same uh, Elois, the same uh, dynamic our same power they don't have the power of the apostles they don't have the signs of the apostle and if they were to assert that they did we could quickly prove them to be false. They don't have the ability to do miracles. They don't have the ability to raise the dead. They don't have the ability to kill. They don't have the ability to write scripture, which all of the apostles were given that kind of authority, though only some of them were employed in that authority of writing scripture of authorizing scripture, of speaking for the Lord. We can validate all this in the New Testament writings. So when you hear about, well, he's an apostle or she's an apostle, they are apostles of men, not of God. They are sent, but they're not sent by God. They may be sent of men and they may be sent of devils. They may be sent, but they're not sent of God. And as such, they don't have the marks of the early first century apostles, which if they did, we would have a problem because all we would be doing is re-establishing the foundation continually and never building the house. We are in the building process of the house now, and we operate on the authority of the apostles of our Lord, as is laid out in the New Testament writings. That's question number one. What's your second question? So
2: my second question is, I tell I tell little children when I talk to them, I say yes, and I tell them about them in the beginning when God decided to kill his first animal, and he clothed Adam, Adam and Eve. Eve. I always make a joke, and I say that he killed. It was either a leopard or a tiger, and he put it on Eve and Adam, and that's why they love leopard, but, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's all cute. Ain't nothing wrong with that, girl. Because <laughs> I
2: believe that within my heart.
1: Uh, leopards?
2: <laughs> that's what happened, because I love leopard okay. pattern. I can't get this like I
1: love Oh, you! you God I had to do that. Yeah, now your husband. I, I need to talk to him because he got one of these hot sisters that love the leopard skin clothes. See, I we 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 actually having two and three conversations here. Okay, so we go we to leave that alone. I like leopard skin. Too. Uh, uh, so God can do whatever he wanted to he did shed the blood of an animal to tell us that we needed to be redeemed and he did clothe Adam and Eve in coats of skin which tells us we need the righteousness of Christ and that is true too but when the kids get a little older girl and they go mama where that at uh, say well I kind of embellish the story a little bit because I like leopard skin okay <laughs> thanks for the call let me see here. I'm going to go to line number four and talk with Yvette in Pleasanton. Yeah, my wife got some leopard skin stuff, too, running around the house. So there we go. Hi, Yvette.
3: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm great. What's going on
3: with you? Okay, I, I just really wanted to say something about the uh, electrical grid and all that. You, you um, sure may. But I have been saying it for a long time that, you know, they're building all the houses and stuff for the Silicon Valley people they you know come from another country and that's fine I don't have no problem with them coming from another country but you can't keep on putting more houses and putting more electric electricity and hooking up all this stuff if the grid is not any it hasn't been upgraded.
1: Well, yeah but what does the silicon valley have to do with the fires up in Sonoma and paradise and other places girl help me. I-
3: I'm not talking about the fires. I'm just talking about the 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 pull on the electricity. Okay. That's all I'm talking about.
1: Well, well, I, I, th- that conversation is important because that would be part of the dialogue that I had with the two electricians earlier and of which right. both of them would agree that the stress on our populations and, and, and from the days that we started, um, you know, harnessing electricity and, and, and running it to homes and businesses, our uh, population has increased exponentially. It is back in the day, we could say that we were 20 to 30 to 40 percent fewer in population. So quite naturally, when the population increases, as it has, we're at something like 32 million people Uh, back in the day. We were probably down to something like 19, 20 million. And as you were stating, that does not require the power mass that it does today, that it would require this kind of power mass means that we have to update. That we have to revise that we have to rethink that we have to reposition that we have to re uh, establish new models that are safer models for everybody across the board, but as the previous caller Chris was saying that you know greed has us just want to add another line just add another line add another line and obviously this is going to cause transformers to blow because i'm sure that's what happened in uh it's across the bay a couple years ago pg&e a transformer blew and and uh a gas line under uh the city i I forget the city if one of you guys are listening want to remind me of it somewhere across the water past the seven bridge and uh San Bruno, exactly. Major problem was exposed because of that. Uh, And it's because we are not upgrading. We are not updating. We are not taking the time to pay the dues to, before the catastrophe occurs, solve the problem. So in that regard, you are well uh, within uh, the rights of being concerned about that, my sister. Yes, thank
2: you. Bless you. Thank you you very much.
1: Yep, bless Bless you you let me see here. I've got a few minutes. Let me go to line number uh, two and talk with Ellen and San Mateo. I've got three lines open, by the way, one 3 lines open, one we have got 30 minutes before our program this up. So, Ellen, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, unfortunately, Pastor Jesse, I missed uh, the beginning of the show, and it's, it's, I'm so upset about it, so I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in late. Um, and I just got the, the gist, I think, of Karen's call. So I'm going to speak to that. I sure. Have a, a lot of opinions on PG&E. And we'll uh, do that another day because you've done that. And I, By the way, I love Lois. I yeah. love her. Yeah. I love that voice. I uh-huh. love her laugh. And yeah. and I am with her. Uh-huh. I think that, you know, God is not going to make a sister who isn't fine. I and agree. And she had leopard on her. I so, agree. Lois, I love you. Yeah, I,
1: I, I agree, too. Now, do you have anything like that in your closet?
3: Uh Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. Yes, I do. Now, all right, so this, you know, I always think of a song every week. I don't know why, but I just, whenever, I'm so excited to call, and a song comes to mind. Now, this Which is one, girl? Which one? Well, all right, this is... Smoky, uh-huh. you really got a hold on me. Uh-huh. Now this is a duet, okay? I know that. I know that. I know, know no, Smoky. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, in my in my world, right this minute, it's a duet. Now okay. I'm going to just uh, okay. say the words. Uh, everyone knows this song, mm-hmm. but the first person speaking, because I'm speaking as Eva. Well, the first one is, "I don't like you, but I love you. Seems that I'm always thinking of you. Right. Oh, you do me wrong, right. I, my love is strong. You really got a hold of me. Right. Now the first part is the Lord talking. Right. And then the second part you really got a hold of me is Eve. Now, you're saying, what is this woman talking about? I'll tell you. I'm tracking and, with you, girl. I'm tracking with you. Well, no, this is the first time. and Let me tell you, I have cajones. Well, I guess I can't have them. I'm a woman. But to even broach disagreeing <laughs> with you, Pastor Jesse, but I'm going to do it. Yeah, go ahead on. And let me tell you, I don't have the knowledge, so I could be way off. But mm-hmm. I'm going to read something really, really quick. I may have to go into next week. I, I, I'm too excited. Okay. I, I'm, I'm too excited. All right, now let's go to Romans, no, I'm not saying let's go, no one has to go, but Romans 11, uh-huh. and then we go over to, and I'm just going to read a little of it, uh, 30, yep. just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of the disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Right. Or God has bound all men over to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on them. Okay, so my question—it's a question, it's not my theory because I don't know enough. So I'm going to ask you. But in my limited scope, I—I I read that and I say, first of all, I think that God. I think we all know. I think God knows everything. Okay, mm-hmm. and I think it's an understanding that, that he knew that Jesus was going to have to come and save us all before he even created the world. True. true. Okay. So it was no surprise to him when Adam and Eve fell. Right. So, so this whole idea of uh, somehow after the fall, uh, God, there's no, no, no fault to God. He knew exactly what was happening. Mm-mm, that's bad logic.
1: After- bad logic. I'm going to have to help you.
3: Okay. So, good. I, can't, right. so I can't
1: let you run. You've got to make sure, Ellen, you've got to make sure you keep your categories in order when you're laying out an argument. You just split categories.
3: Oh, okay. Well see this is I'm asking because right. I don't know, that's why okay. I'm all worked up because I'm confused. Because when I read this and in my mind I think, well God knows everything so he wanted us, he wanted people to come to him through uh, the disobedience and the trials and the tribulation we're gonna go through so then he could kind of hand pick and say, All right, they they came to me. If he just created righteous people, uh good people and then we had thousands of years, that's not the same as having to Teach someone to, to 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 understand that you have to, to to become dependent on the Lord you become dependent on the Lord when you fall and you realize that you can do nothing without jesus you can 't do a thing and you're, you are nothing without him so i don 't think anything was surprised i don 't think God now this is my question to you this isn 't my theory, and I could be wrong i 'm just saying that God wanted us to be in a place where, and, and one of the callers alluded to this as well, I can't remember his name, um, that in a place that we, in order to really understand the mercy and love of God, we had to to fall and and, and un- understand he's in control. That's why I picked that song, because he has a hold on all of us. No surprises, nothing. And, and, and just to have righteous people, yeah, he could have made a world with righteous people. He wanted to see what we're going to do, what we're made of, to teach us that we had to humble ourselves and fall flat on our face, which I've done a billion times in my life, and I'm still crawling, mm-hmm. um, to really understand the grace of God. And so you tell me where I'm wrong, and uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll let you talk.
1: All right. So you can get off the line <clears throat> so you can just hear it, and then we can pick it up next week if you have to. I'm just going to give you some categories. You're okay, but there's some things you're missing um and this is you know this is high fruit this is what we would call fundamentally high theology uh and that is thinking about how god thought before he created the world you 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 got to you got to slow down there's a not you in general not you specifically ellen but a person has to really think things through so what i'm going to do cuz i got about 4 minutes before is it uh 6:43 or 6:45 of oh, 6:40 so I got one minute before I take a break and then I'll come back on the other side and take Jermaine and we'll close it out. But I'm going to do some theology now with you guys that are very, that's very important around how to understand a lapsarian theology. This is what we call supra uh, infra uh, lapsarianism. Lapsarian is a Latin term for the fall, the fall, the fall. Mankind did fall. As the Bible's clear. He failed is clear before he fell that God told him in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. That's Genesis 2.17. God did not say if. God does not see contingencies. God doesn't see hypotheticals. God sees reality because everything that comes into existence is decreed by God. The God of the Bible does not operate out of uh, uh, reactions to people doing things that he thinks that he doesn't anticipate. He sees the end from the beginning no doubt about that. And everything ultimately operates according to the sovereign will of God. The Bible's explicit about that. The Lord has made all things for himself, even the day, even the wicked for the day of evil. Psalm, Proverbs chapter 16 4. I can give you so many verses on the fact that God is omniscient. If God is omniscient, he's not like a genie or not like some kind of a crystal ball observer where he looks into an independent source of events happening outside of his control. It's all according to his sovereign decree the uh the 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 purpose of man being created in god's image was god's decree that's called his preceptive will let us make man in our image in our likeness let him have dominion let him rule let him let him steward the world let him uh, replenish the earth let him fill it let him subdue it that was an explicit preceptive uh, will of God, we heard it, but God knew before he even gave that preceptive will, what his secret and sovereign will would be. And that would be that mankind that he makes in his image would sin. He saw that in the day that you eat, not if, but when you eat. And so God had a plan for the fall. It's called revelation 13, 8. and he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, Christ was a redeemer in the principle and purpose of God before man fell. And if Christ is the lamb slain before the man fell, it means that the man must fail. That means he must fail. The lamb wasn't slain after he fell. The lamb was slain before he fell. And that's why when God clothed Adam and Eve with coats of skin and shed blood, he was already implementing the pro evangel to let Adam know God knew that in his freedom that he would exercise his freedom the wrong way. That freedom would lead him to rebellion against God and God would have a mitigating answer for his rebellion. And that is his son, Jesus Christ. And I've said it before. God had a savior before he had a sinner. God had a savior before he had a sinner. God had a savior before he had a sinner. So that when the sinner sinned, all God had to do was implement the salvation of the Savior who said yes for the sinner before the sinner sinned. It's one thing for God to say he loved me. It's another thing for God to say he loved me before the foundation of the world, before he created anything in the counsel of his own triune glory. The father chose me, the son died for me and the Holy Ghost hunted me down. He had a Savior before he had a sinner. Adam was amazingly saved from his rebellion and you and I are too, but there's another side to it because a bunch of men and women go to hell. So I'm going to come back and explain to you Romans nine, where God's glory is going to be manifested both in his righteousness and in his justice. And that's what this whole thing is about. And I'll be right back.
2: And now back to lifeline
1: and we're back. Um, We've got 10 minutes in our program, and let me explain very succinctly how this principle of the gospel goes, for which if we don't get it right, we are not presenting the gospel accurately and carefully to people. Addressing the question that our dear sister is asking around the mercy of God and, and God's choice to be redemptive and be merciful to humanity falls under two categories. God deals with all men through two men. God deals with all men through two men. He deals with all men either in Adam one for whom we all have our human prodigy. And that is for all have sinned coming out of the loins of Adam. That's Romans 512 for by one man sin entered into the world and death passed upon all for all have sinned without understanding that fundamental premise. The gospel is unacceptable to anyone. We call it a sinner's gospel. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3:23. If we accept that premise then what we understand is we are in trouble with God, all of us. But when Paul says for by one man sin entered into the world, he also said by one man justification came upon all. In other words, God deals with all men either in Adam one or he deals with all men in the last Adam Jesus Christ. So first Corinthians chapter 5, verse 22 says, in Adam all die. That's one path. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. That's the second path. You guys get this now. There are two paths that all human beings are on. Either they are on the path of death in the first Adam, or they are on the path of life in the last Adam. The first Adam is made a living, soul. the last Adam a quickening spirit. So when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three, he's saying our just due and our termination point in Adam one is hell because he's talking about the second death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's saying that the other path is salvation by faith through grace in Jesus Christ alone. Apart from works will lead us to heaven. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes unto the father but by me. John chapter fourteen six. Why did God allow this two-way pathway for humanity? As Proverbs 16:25 puts it, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Romans Proverbs 16:25. So there are men who are going to hell and there are men who are going to heaven. We will end up in hell if we live and die in the first Adam for in Adam all die. In other words, if you and I don't have a way to pay for our sins and we can't in ourselves, we're going to hell. If somehow we come to hear the glorious gospel and this is a sinner's gospel that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ and faith is found in our heart to believe in Jesus as our righteousness. Then we accrue the righteousness of Christ by faith and that righteousness merits us eternal life in Jesus because Christ is in us and we are in Christ and he is our life. And therefore, because he is our life, we live forever. Those are the two paths. And in the larger scope of God's purpose, Paul explains this. One path exposes God's glory in his justice and his wrath. The other path exposes God's glory in his goodness and his mercy or his righteousness and his mercy. Listen to the language. Romans chapter 9 very plainly says it in verse 20 verse uh, Romans chapter 9 verse 22. What if God willing to show his wrath? Apparently, he was. And to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Who are they? According to the Bible, every sinner in Adam is a vessel of wrath fitted for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. So you see, some of us are vessels of wrath, and some of us are vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. What is Paul doing? He's explaining to us why some go over the abyss into hell. It's because God has chosen to manifest his wrath upon the sons of disobedience. That's one path. Why do some end up in glory? Because God has chosen to show his mercy upon the sons of faith. That's the other path. The wages of sin is death. If a man or woman lives and dies in rebellion against the revelation of God, given to them wherever they are on the planet, which if they were to submit to God's revelation, it would lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Because that's how God works. That's why the gospel goes into all the world to every creature. Somehow those who are chosen of God in Christ will hear the gospel wherever they are. There will be none who will end up in hell for whom Christ died while we go but the Bible is very clear hell will be filled with men and women who refuse to submit to God's righteousness and this is how God is glorified on both sides of his divine attributes according to Exodus 33 4 and 5 God is righteous God is holy God is gracious God is merciful God is long-suffering but God will always punish sin God is a God of holiness. He's a God of wrath. This aspect of God's nature is going to be displayed one way or the other. Either his wrath will be understood by hellbound sinners in the person of Christ, for whom they will bow the knee by the power of the Holy Ghost and admit, admit that in Christ God's wrath was absorbed on their behalf so that they stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. And they are saved by grace through the gift of faith and not of themselves. It is a gift of God. So when we get to heaven, we will never get to heaven on the grounds of our own obedience. But the grounds of God's grace in Jesus is called being a vessel of mercy. A vessel of mercy is never an earned product on the mess- on the vessels part. The vessel is there because God in his prerogative chose to save some. He didn't have to save any. So then when he talks about in Romans 11 that God has condemned us all, that he might have mercy on us all, it's simply the term all there, my beloved sister, is always the category of Jew and Gentile, meaning the revelation of God's salvation was exclusively given to the Jews in the Old Testament to convey to the world. But after the coming of Christ, after the suffering of Christ, after the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, the gospel now goes into all the world to every creature and the message is to Jew and Gentile. For he hath made of the twain one new man, so making peace. There is no two people of God, only one. The all refers to all in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, not every human being. This is the doctrine of universalism. We do not believe that Christ died for every every human being. We do not believe that he paid the sins for every human being. We do not believe that where texts refer to the term all is referring to the term all without exception. That is unbiblical. There would be major contradictions in scripture if that was the case. God, the father is not in conflict with God, the son. And God, the son is not in conflict with God. The Holy Ghost, Christ made it clear. All whom the father hath given me shall come to me. And the Holy Ghost is calling all men, but only those who are chosen in Christ will be quickened and made to see the glory of God in Christ. And if you happen to be one of them, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you are a vessel of mercy. God didn't have to have mercy on you. He didn't have to have mercy on us. But he did And praise him for it. And he is just whether he would have saved you and me or not. But I'm glad he doesn't operate only according to his justice, but his mercy. Rejoice, sinner, in Jesus, the only Savior of the world. We'll see you next time.